0: hello it is another cycle around the sun as we celebrate the return to the weekly edition of the arena craft podcast a show dedicated exclusively to magic the gathering arena i am one of your hosts The inevitable Arjuna. I always seem to be hanging out in this podcast. The other co-host who's usually here and does return with us today is CGB. We missed you dearly, CGB.
1: How are you doing, my friend? I am impressed, as always, that the lights here are still on, the bed is made, the room is well decored, and the house did not burn down in my absence. But I'm not surprised, because with an amazing host such as yourself, how could any of those things ever come to pass? Uh, nice episode last week, and uh, yeah, I had a good little vacation. How, how about you? How are you doing this week? I'm groovy. My excitement
0: in the arena has been intensely stoked by the return of one of my favorite ever sets to the platform, and uh, return in, in the interesting sense in that we did have it very briefly on here in a weird form, and it is back now, Kaladesh. So I've been jamming Historic, jamming Kaladesh Limited. It's as fun as I remember it. It's also pretty nicely balanced for the Historic format. So all in all, feeling pretty stoked about that so far. I'm just letting you guys know. So this week, we're going to be doing basically like a a metagame catch-up for both Historic and Standard. And that is in preparation for the upcoming Zendikar Rising Championship. So this is happening December 4th through 6th. Looks like it's going to be the last big Wizards-sanctioned competitive event of the year, if I'm not mistaken. And um, basically, anyone who's going to be playing in that right now is spending a lot of time testing in both of these formats, because it will be a double-format tournament, which I'm always excited when they do that. It just gives me more choice over what to watch, and I feel like you get to see a, a greater range of skill from the players. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Are you looking forward to that, CGB?
1: Oh, a 100%. I really like what they've done in just the last three or four months with these championship weekends. The split format's exciting, seeing the best players playing is exciting. I hope that the ones who want to stream it are allowed to. I know that that wasn't allowed in the last championship, and I don't think they've changed that yet, although they have for the MPL weekends, which have been fun to watch as well. But uh, as far as Spectator Magic, this is what we've got. I I think that we're going to bemoan the lost Mythic Championships or Pro Tours of the last few sets during COVID times. I know I would have loved to see a Pro Tour with this uh, standard format and this historic format quite a bit, but uh, we got this, and I'm... I'm happy to have something to zone in on and just be a fan of in times like these. Heck yeah, heck yeah. And
0: so what have you been up to as far as your own playtime? I saw at least one Historic video up on your YouTube channel. Have you been playing much Historic?
1: Yeah, I've I've been spending more time, a little bit of stream time and a lot of off-stream time on Historic. And I definitely have some findings about it. Since Kaladesh released, I've been trying various decks to see where Kaladesh stacks up with current power level of Historic, and I don't play Historic too often, and as you know, my preferred method of playing Magic is Best of One. I very much enjoy Best of One and not a bunch of sideboard uh, games. It's It's definitely my favorite way to ladder. Um, I spent the week working on Aetherworks Marvel first, Mardu Vehicles second, Paradoxical Outcome third, um, which have some interesting findings, and if you want to ask about any of those specific, we'll dive into them in a second. But first, my overall impressions of Historic. It is completely unplayable as a best-of-one format. Yes, I'm, I'm
0: so glad that you said that, because that was my exact experience jumping back. It's like a different format.
1: Yeah, I, I sadly found that Best of One Historic, and my God, if they do another arena open with Best of One Historic, I, <laughs> I, I can't recommend playing it. <laughs> Even I would say play Best of Three. But best there, there, there are two possibilities. Possibility number one is kind of the same way that Best of One was for a while, where I don't know the right way to interact or sequence or something, because uh, I, I might still have some learning to do is what I'm trying to say, because I can't win a game of draw on the draw in best of one historic. I can't do it. It doesn't matter what's in my hand. It doesn't matter what my opponent is. I could have turn one graph cage against Aetherworks, Marvel or Godfair's gift and still get just completely destroyed. And it it's like, it nothing seems to matter, but going first about 80, 20. And then the rest is like every deck is such a powerful engine unto itself. Y- you can't really play control. If you miss a beat, they just get rolling, and it's over. Um, and everything's super proactive, and everything has a natural predator, which is a matchup that feels like you can do nothing about. Like, nothing. I mean, you can high roll everybody with a Jun Sacrifice deck until you meet the person with Yasharn and Grafdigger's Cage in their main, in Best of One, and you're like, oh, darn. And then there's a whole bunch of colorless decks that are playing turn three Karn you know? So there's a bunch of ways to get your artifacts shut off or have them find hate cards. And then there's still just a ton of goblins, and you just get Muxist. Like, you might lead on turn one cage, they still beat you to death with the freaking goblins, and it's like you took a mulligan because you played a one-mana do-nothing card until the Muxist is resolved, which is their six-mana card. I it's, I it's a nasty format for best of one. I wouldn't recommend it. For that reason, I'm... I don't think i'm going to be much of a historic mage without a without a tournament you know because i don't i don't like like 30 to 45 minute matches i i don't like sideboarding i love best of one i i actually have a passion for it and it is sort of what i'm known for but that's where i'm at um do you want me to say i want to hear about what you did but maybe i can cover the decks really quick that i worked on all right aetherworks marvel I've tried a number of varieties with like Sultai and Temur and just all the different combinations of energy cards and things like that. And for best of one, just, just Ulamog. <laughs> you don't, like, there's nothing else really to it. Um, mm-hmm. I think some of the best technology I found for it was Sphinx of Foresight. Ah, to just that's spicy. Yeah, to just get that scry three and give yourself the best chance of doing exactly what the deck absolutely needs to do, which is turn two energy, turn three energy, turn four Ulamog, and do that as much as you possibly can. And I don't think there's a lot more to it for best of one. In best of three, though, I really like the Sultai version. I uh, originally saw streamer Trudon who's getting back into streaming after a bit of a break playing this, and it's uh, the... Uro as kind of the fair magic backup plan. A lot of interaction. And then there's like Glintzly Siphoner, Rogue Refiner, things like that. And still running some amount of top end, but not in like the straight up for Ulamog variety. You know, a, a, an Ulamog here, set a couple of Ugins. Nissa, who shakes the world, is actually something I was trying to make work in Teamer. Because the idea is you can hit it off a of Marvel and you're never sad. Or if you don't draw your Marvel, you can just play Nyssa. Sometimes that wins. Sometimes it casts Ulamog, and that wins. So Nyssa is like a fair card that bridges between the mid range and combo game. So I've been enjoying that a bit. That's most of what I have there. But Thoughtseize is a really freaking good card, just to remind everybody. So it's really hard not to play black. Almost every time I'm sitting there with a teamer deck, it's like, well, If I had black, I could have Thoughtseize, and then I wouldn't get rolled by the, like, uninteractive draws or relying on, like, an Aether Gust to bail me out. Thoughtseize is a heck of a card. I mean, let's talk about that for a moment, because I think
0: a lot of people do initially jump to Tima just because that's where the energy cards are focused. But through my playing with the deck as well, I found that the only reason I wanted to stay in Tima for the deck was that I was really enjoying playing it with Genesis Ultimatum. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that Genesis Ultimatum is, like, if you want to really focus on the go-over-the-top aspect of the deck, I think Genesis Ultimatum is a great place to be because it just it gives you more bites at the apple, basically, if you miss on your big Ugin or Ulamog you can at least hit an ultimatum and and maybe get one off of that. I found that you can play less copies of these 8 and 10 mana spells and play more copies of this 7 mana spell, and you might actually get to resolve one of them in a game as well, just casting from the hand. So I've been enjoying playing that, but I do agree that I feel like every other red card in the deck, I just feel like... Like, Harness Lightning, I think, is a perfect example of it. Like, why are we playing Harness Lightning in Historic? You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's cards like, yeah, Fatal Push. Cards like uh, Eliminate, Heartless Act. They're just much better removal spells. And so, also like of Virtuoso is just another card which... I feel like was well suited for standard and really is just not holding the muster in historic. So I totally agree with you on that. I think overall Sultai just gives you access to stronger cards, which I think, you know, brings us to the, to the discussion about the fact that Marvel is, it really is one of these decks where like it has a handful of game enders and a handful of ultra useless janky cards that do nothing. And then you're trying to figure out how to bridge the gap with like how much interaction and, actually playable cards like oro are in the deck and it's it's a hard hard puzzle to solve i would say so yeah i i I don't know if you've come down on this as well but i walked away feeling like marvel is very very fun um i'm really glad that i invested in it and i would not sleeve it up for a serious tournament
1: Yeah, I definitely didn't find a mix I'd play for a tournament. I didn't mention Genesis Ultimatum before, but that really is the secret sauce of Aetherworks Marvel when you can Marvel hit an ultimatum. Ultimatum hits the Ulamog and the Ugin and another Marvel and a Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot, so you can Marvel again and uh, hit another Genesis Ultimatum. I've had a few very fun games like that where it felt like Omnath was still legal. (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah, good times, Uh, but... I I do I do agree. I don't think Marvel's going to need to be banned in this format. I thought it should be at first, and maybe it should be in best of one. <laughs> but I, I I would I would argue that there needs to be a whole best of one ban list, and there are a lot of cards that would be on it, and most of them say, "Look at the top six cards of your library." <laughs> mm, yep, that's a good
0: that's a good point. Yeah, that's interesting though. I I found that. After a while, I was just getting run over by Aura's decks and Gruul decks and even like running cards like Storm's Wrath. I had a couple of copies in my deck, which can be a nice kind of pressure release valve to hit off of your Marvel if you need to. I was just kind of getting hauled by turn four. So I'd maybe your list was has a bit more interaction or took that into account a bit more. But that was my issue in Best of One.
1: Oh No, I just drew better than you.
0: <laughs> I believe that, Yeah, man. yeah. I believe that. I mean, any draw that didn't curve <laughs> out into Marvel just felt like laughable to me. And even the ones I did curve out into Marvel, I had to hit like exactly Ugin or I was dead, you know?
1: Yeah, it, it definitely rolled about that way. So I, I'm curious to see what the pros do with Aetherworks Marvel, if they can break it, unquote. But I actually don't think that will be the story, but we'll see. The other deck I spend a lot of time with is Vehicles. Red, Black, Mardu, Red, White. Vehicles hit hard, but they don't have this overpowering combo flurry finish that makes sure the opponent is like extremely dead on turn four. They (laughs) can get you dead on turn four, but they don't get you extremely dead on turn four, which is sort of what is happening in the format now. Because, yeah, it's just kind of awkward to spend... So many turns on fiddling about with lining up your Toolcraft Exemplar, Scrap Heap Scrounger, and um, it's kind of absurd to say this, but unless it's Disintegration as a 3-mana removal spell, ain't it, like, no. you can't pay 3-mana to deal with these things. It it no. just doesn't work. Yeah,
0: even, even though it has a Lightning Bolt attached to it, it's just, meh not really good
1: enough i i i can't believe that a four mana four a two mana four four flying vigilant heart of kieran is like way too slow it feels it feels insanely slow when you play it even if you have a toolcraft exemplar because your opponent already has like 19 permanents or something (laughs) well that's just it it's like the first time you
0: hit with it you're like yeah and then the next turn. Yeah, and then the next turn you're just like, How am I so far behind in this game?
1: <laughs> I guess I'll swing for four again before taking forty seven. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, exactly. A lot of Muxus has happened to me and a lot of auras, maybe you can tell, but that's those are kind of what I'm referring to when I talk about these explosions. Even just value. like a
0: even a modest start from Gruel, right? Because we have uh Burning yeah. Tree back yeah. in the format, you know, they just they play a couple of creatures on turn two, they're already Ember cleaving you on turn
1: three. Yeah, and it's like nice heart of Kirin, bruh. I think it was my third game into Historic with Kaladesh Remastered that I got quadruple burning treat on turn two. Oh yikes, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and Ember Cleaved, of course.
0: Of course. <laughs> of course. Oh my goodness. The good life. <laughs> it's it's something. If if you like your games to be over quickly, historic best of one
1: is for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, But, I mean, that's a lottery format. I I don't think the vehicles decks, as we ever knew them, are going to hold up, but they were fun and very nostalgic. I I think I said this before, that a lot of Historic is going to be playing what you really want to be playing and feeling some of that nostalgia. In Mythic, people just spam Goblins Adoras, so it's kind of sad, but maybe at other ranks you can enjoy the nostalgia more. Uh, You guys would have to tell me. Anyway, that's been my experience with the Mardu Vehicles list. Have you played with this at all? I have, yeah. So I basically started
0: by like trying to port Lucas Esper Bertout's Pro Tour winning deck from before in Standard into Historic, and just kind of go from there. Use that as a as a foundation, and I quickly discovered, as as many people may, that cards like what's like I Foundry Apprentice or something.
1: Inventor's Apprentice. Inventor's
0: Apprentice. Yeah, not a playable historic magic Curd card. Curd Ape. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Wild Nacatl is still a historic playable magic card, but yeah, Curd Ape is not. But, you know, I have been seeing... So people have been apparently having like some degree of success with these lists that look a little bit different. They run for Bomat Couriers, They're running for Gideon Blackblades, which is kind of funny given that the old lists ran the other gideon right hmm. yeah interesting you know and i and i think maybe what you're trying to do in a situation like that do something like curving a one drop into your hearts of Care and into your gideon and then giving your hearts of Care Life lifelink and maybe that's going to kind of keep you up in the race. So anyway, you know, you can get places with this deck, but I think I would largely agree that, again, it does—it just doesn't feel like... It's just not busted enough for Historic is the
1: <laughs> problem. So you can get places with this deck. I see what you did there because it's a vehicle <laughs> deck. You. But, um, you. Psh- wow. Got him.
0: If you want to play a fair game of Magic, then you can go ahead and load this up. People have been hitting Mythic with it and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, it, it is a quote unquote real ladder deck, but <laughs> it's a deck. But I would agree. It's just not really, I don't know. You know, I would only recommend that someone play this deck if they have nostalgia for the vehicles and then, you know, be careful about the version that you run.
1: But there are, you know, at least somewhat competitive versions of it out there. The Gideon Blackblade sounds neat. I hadn't thought about the Lifelink, Heart of kirin thing. I don't know if it's enough, but it's interesting.
0: The versions that I've seen, they're running four Hearts of Kirin and that's it. Maybe there's just like one or two Ethersphere Harvesters in the sideboard. But I think you really want to de-emphasize the vehicles part of the equation. And I think that you want to actually emphasize the fast aggro and, and disruptive elements of the deck. And, and I think, like you said before, it's like this deck definitely wins by narrow margins. It's not slamming the door in people's faces. Yeah, so that, that would be my recommendation to you. Don't go heavy on the vehicles. Definitely make sure you have interaction. Definitely, in my opinion, you have to run Mardu because Thought Seize is a thing. And Fatal Push, of course.
1: And then maybe you'll get there. Have you worked at all on Paradoxical Outcome?
0: No, I have not worked on it. I've definitely lost to it plenty of times in the best of one queue, so...
1: Really? <laughs> okay. So what are you playing against? Like, how are they comboing off? Because I've... I, I've, Or are they comboing off? Because I had a really hard time figuring out how to pay off this deck.
0: Yeah, I. the people I was playing against were pretty consistently using the Mystic Pizza Oven, and then usually it was, like, some kind of essentially infinite mana... Okay, are you sure it was a paradoxical outcome deck? Hold on, am I thinking of I think you're thinking of paradox.: I'm engine, thinking of which paradox deck. engine. that's what I'm thinking of. I'm, I'm getting my
1: terminology confused. We can, we can talk about that deck because that deck, from the moment I jumped on ladder with Kaladesh, I was running into that deck left and right, the colorless paradox engine ramp deck.: Yes, that... okay, so that's the one that I've been talking about, my bad, but yeah, that, that deck is a pretty potent combo deck. Uh, For the people at home, Paradox Engine is five for the artifact, and then whenever you play a spell, you untap your non-land permanence, I believe is how it reads. So the idea is to play cards like Mind Stone. um, What's the other one? Hedron Archive, Guardian Idol. These are artifacts that tap for mana. And then you play a Paradox Engine, and whenever you play a spell, you untap the artifacts that tap for mana. If you throw in a Forsaken Monument... Now you're tapping your artifacts for double mana and you're gaining two life for every artifact that you play. If you throw in a Mystic Forge, or as you say, the Mystic Pizza Oven, you can play artifacts from the top of your library. And every time you do it, you make more mana. I mean, it's very quickly that you're making more mana than you're actually spending on anything. Almost, in, in a way, kind of going somewhat infinite, as long as you have spells to cast with the pizza oven. So the deck is full of Maze Mine Tone, which can scry. The oven itself, the Mystic Forge untaps, and then you can tap it again to exile the top card of your deck. You can cash in your Mind
0: Stones. It just keeps going. Yeah, and then once you get a con down, you can just fetch kind of whatever's going to keep you rolling from the sideboard. So, yeah, I have found it to be a a fairly consistent deck and can definitely kill you on, like, turn four or five
1: when things go I've also... I've also met a variety of win cons. For one thing, you can put all that mana into a crawling barons and just attack yeah, for a million. That's a thing. You know, that that's happened to me. Uh people have played Ugin and Ulamog out of the main deck. Just just here it is. I made all this mana, I'll just cast the biggest thing I can find. Right? That that's happened to me several times. Then there's the metalwork Colossus Witch's Oven combo. Have you seen that? <laughs> no, I... <laughs> lay that one on me. So, Metalwork Colossus is 11 mana for a 10-10? A 12-12? It's a 10-10. Something huge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Oh, I'm thinking because of Monument, it gets plus two, plus two. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, it costs one less for each artifact, non-creature artifact mana cost uh, that you have on the battlefield. So, if you have a Forsaken Monument and three Mindstones, or 11 mana, then. Your Metalwork Colossus is free, so you can play it for free. If you have a Witch's Oven, you can play Metalwork Colossus. You can sacrifice it to Witch's Oven to put it in the graveyard. You can sacrifice the two food tokens that you made oh, to return to Metalwork Colossus to your hand. And then if you have which, a paradoxical outcome, oh, oh the engine if, yeah, paradox yep. engine.
0: Okay. If you I
1: have the him. engine, you play the Colossus. It untaps the Witch's Oven right. so that you can do it again. If you have any mana sources, this is now infinite colorless mana it's also infinite casting casts and it's infinite death triggers so if you can find a way to kill the opponent through the combo i mean it's there like if you have a a sigh you make infinite thopters um if you but most of the time like i said i just end up getting attacked by crawling barons Um, Also, this untaps the Mystic Forge if you have it every time, so you can just go through your deck, or a Maze Mind Tome can go pretty deep in your deck, Um, like win how you want to. So this deck is fast, it sounds clunky and silly, it doesn't actually require any colors, but I think that the best of three version we may encounter will probably have blue just for Mystical Dispute, because the only real weakness is if your Paradox Engine doesn't resolve. And yeah, it plays turn three. Karn, um, the Mystic Forge is weak to Graftigger's Digger's Cage. That's one of the few weaknesses of the deck. But I've been surprised how many times it's, they're just like, "Okay, I'll cast Ulamog. Okay, I'll cast Ugin. Okay, I'll play two, two Metal Gear Colossus on turn four. You know, yeah. and, and uh, you're going uh, they to die. Just
0: grab some big nasty thing from the sideboard with Karn. You know, so yeah, yeah. It, it's a surprisingly resilient deck. I've been pretty impressed by it and really, really, really doesn't care
1: about Ugin. (laughs) No, no. My Aetherworks Marvel deck was very grumpy about marveling into Ugin as an out because everything they have is colorless. Just did nothing. You know what kept happening to me playing against that
0: deck? So yeah, exhibit one was Ugin coming down and not mattering. Exhibit two was not being able to activate my frickin' Marvel because of my opponent's con. Oh yeah. Good game. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty pretty miserable there. So yeah, that deck seems pretty potent in best of one. I don't really know how it translates to best of three. Um again, it's one of these decks like I probably wouldn't bring it to a tournament. But I, I do think it's fairly competitive. I think you could get quite far on the ladder if you committed to it.
1: If if you play the mirror or you just play against somebody else who has Karn, like the first Karn just wins. Oh, it's yeah. kind of Oh, oh it's it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah <laughs> if I was playing best of three, I would definitely
0: have four blast zones in, you know, in the 75, because that's one of the
1: only ways that you can break out of your opponent's con lock. But, I, I mean, that engine is super powerful. It's a lot faster, and because there are eight of the idle and mindstone you know, the the artifact that can tap for a colorless to ramp you, Yeah, like, it's it's very consistent, and it's very frustrating to get just completely steamrolled by yeah so that's a deck to keep an eye on okay so let's get back to
0: what you were talking about paradoxical outcome which was the yes. other paradoxical card which is the card that returns stuff to your hand and you draw okay so I, I actually have not played with or against this deck
1: at all so so what have you been trying i've been spending stupid amounts of time on this deck. Like like one of those... It's like one of those quests, you know, I, where you just can't put it down. It's like there must be a deck here because I loved the standard deck uh, dearly. And for the most part, it was just completely unplayable. Could not win. Could not do anything. But uh, one thing I figured out about the outcome deck is it can be a Graft Diggers Cage deck if you don't run... Mystic Forge or Emery or any cards that would use the graveyard or the library. And then if you play a turn one Digger's Cage, it's actually really easy to leave a Metallic Rebuke, which is the, yeah, the improvised counterspell. And that can kind of get you to a turn where you can play a Psy Master Thopterist. So if you have a Psy Master Thopterist and a Mox Amber and a Metallic Rebuke, you have a counterspell open with an artifact generating machine. The the thing is, I had a hard time figuring out how to w- win. Uh, you can't really generate the mana to just combo and just keep casting paradoxical outcomes like the old version would. So instead, this version has to use paradoxical outcome as the reload value play, while still finding more rebukes to keep up counter magic. And then the way it wins is with Forsaken Monument. Uh, so you just play so you the just monument and pump your Thopter, pump your thopter army. army. Yeah, 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 exactly, and you. And the best, the funnest thing about it is using War of Adventure, War of Invention mid combat to fetch Monument and pump your coppers. <laughs> so, remind the people briefly what that card does. War of Invention is X blue 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 for an instant, and it has Improvised. So you can tap an artifact to pay its mana cost or to add to its mana cost, and you search your library for an artifact card with converted mana cost X or less. Put onto the battlefield. Shuffle your library. So if you have three blue and five artifacts on the field and your opponent attacks you with a whole bunch of their little gruel dorks or their goblins, maybe you block them all with your thopters. Then you tap your five thopters and your three blue and you go fetch Forsaken Monument and you pump the team. And then you untap and just swing for a million. That's pretty dope. So that's the, that's the best I've done with Paradoxical Outcome. And I still don't think it's close to a tier list, but yeah. it was a long quest and I at least wanted to talk about what I did find or else it was all for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's one of those cards that like, it
0: always has potential to be busted. It's, it's got like busted combo enabler written all over it. And so thank you for doing the hard work. So we didn't have to CGB
1: for, yeah. Even if the hard work ended in this sucks, (laughs) 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 but it's fun. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And ended up with a lot of
0: lead in your alchemist's vial there. Okay, let's just kind of go over some other decks. I, w- were there any other
1: archetypes that you tried or put a lot of work into? No. Okay. Um. The, the Those are the ones I spent my time on. I messed around with, like, I've got some brews still in my queue for Torrential Gearhulk mm. and uh, all that glitters, mono-white temporal steel, like garbage like that. Yeah yeah
0: yeah let's talk about the gear hulk actually because this is we discussed this when we were going over the set and it is definitely a potent deck again not sure whether it's like a tournament ready deck but the blue black gear hulk uh control deck with sublime epiphany is definitely a house. The basic foundation of this deck is you just play a a whole mess load of interaction, you play a bunch of removal, you got your fatal pushes, you've got your mystical disputes, your essence scatters, and you just spend the first half of the game trying to answer absolutely everything that your opponent does. And then at some point the goal is that you mystical dispute, uh, uh, sorry, you uh, Sublime Epiphany something, and then the following turn, you gearhulk your sublime epiphany. And usually when you're in that, that's a pretty game-ending play right there. It goes over the top of most things. It happens with a fair degree of regularity in this deck. So I definitely think this is a deck to keep an eye on. It's true that, you know, your your big combo is like a five you know, it's what, two six mana spells? Yes. So that's Kind of a thing, you know? That's the thing you have to kind of keep your eye on. The good news a lot. is when most of your deck is interaction and then the rest of your deck is expensive spells that rebuy your interaction, you you have a better chance of making it to the late game. Now this deck definitely does fall prey to it has the same weaknesses that like your really old school control decks have, which is that if at any point in the game you you lose control or something slips through, It might just be curtains for you so that's the main weakness of the deck and especially if you don't if you're not right on it from turn one you know like if your opponent gets a couple goblins down or something you might just be too far behind but yeah this is i think this is definitely a deck to keep an eye on it has a really powerful late game
1: I did briefly mess around with like decks designed to dump my whole graveyard in, like my whole library into my graveyard, and then refurbish or cast a gear hole and immediately sublime epiphany it two or three times. <laughs> okay, and that was pretty powerful. But yeah, I dropped it pretty quickly, and I was surprised. I think it was Gregor's Kowalski, who, who is uh, usually a top one hundred MPL Mythic player, and. Uh, known as a very talented player who tweeted that it was one of his tier 1 decks for historic. Wow. Like Gear Hulk, a uh, blue black Gear Hulk control he called it. I don't know how many epiphanies he played. I I think it was part of that equation. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that tweet, I was like, "Oh, I spent my time on the wrong thing." <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here paradoxical outcoming, and I should be gear hulking. Ah.
0: I mean, it it is a very it is a very Go Blue style of deck. So I would definitely, you know, give it a try next time. Mm -hmm. Especially if you've already crafted the boom booms, you know? What you're talking about reminds me of the God Pharaoh's Gift. Um, I haven't played this deck, but I watched Andrea Mangucci doing basically like the refurbished version of the deck with the Angel of Invention. And that's another deck which is like, it's no joke when it goes off. And it is definitely a deck that is busted enough for Historic. So, like, uh, you know, the hasty angel on turn four is, it really is a game ender even in the historic format. And usually what happens with this deck is that you end up putting too many threats on the board for your opponent to answer. If you do the thing where you get the Godfarrow's gift down on turn four and you reanimate your angel, then your opponent has to deal with both the angel and the gift. And if they're not able to deal with both of those, they basically lose on the spot. If they are able to deal with them, it probably takes like that turn and their entire next turn doing it. And then you're basically back at parity and you can just try to reanimate it again or whatever. If they're not able to immediately deal with it, they're basically dead on the spot. Not gonna say it's like a viable deck necessarily, but I do think that if you want to get them on the best of one ladder,
1: I think that this is a fairly decent choice. It can beat up on decks that need to get in the combat zone with like multiple creatures smaller than a 6-6 to win. You know, like like Goblin sometimes has a really hard time attacking into the angel of invention that has vigilance, so it's ready to block and gain that life as well. Uh, but I found I found play like playing and watching this deck, it had two big like kind of glaring weaknesses. One was the Marvel into Ulamog does deal with the angel and the gift. That's that's a good point. It's a good point. And and the other was the core spirit dancer does not care. <laughs> that's a really good point. Yes. Way over the top. Just what goes way bigger than the gift deck can. Yeah, it is basically like a faster version of the deck. Yeah, which is why Skyclave Apparition was pretty interesting, but it still targets. So yeah need yeah you still maybe it is cataclysmic out. gear hulk i don't know man. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah maybe so need something yeah you
0: need something but no it's true well so and speaking of that deck that deck is still a force to be reckoned with and just like you said cgb ceram is definitely showing up in these lists and doing good work it is interesting because i think people are still definitely wanting it to be a two color deck as opposed to like an esper deck probably just because you know mana's hard and it's you really need to like hit the battlefield turn one kind of a thing
1: maybe it feels like the mana's has gotten so good with the tri lands especially f- with the fast lands for aggro it should be good all here's it
0: the problem though right is that we don't have an azarius pathway and we also
1: don't have an azarius fast land right and so i guess but the black white deck is i mean people we talked about switching off teamer to get some black for Sultai, I, I think we're seeing the same thing with the Azorius switching to Orzov because Fatal Push and Thoughtseize are just better cards than the, than the blue can provide the deck. I think that the uh, the black-white version of it seems quite
0: potent to me. And yeah, it's like, why have a counterspell when you can just Thought Seize your opponent and take whatever their important interaction was going to be? So yeah, I think this deck is very, very strong. Like, I think that it's uh, it's another best-of-one Slayer. If you, if you want to get to Mythic on best-of-one, then you can just jam
1: this and feel good about it. There's just so many decks that if you're on the draw on best-of-one, you, you probably won, you know, with yeah. any kind of reasonable hand, even if it's five cards. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. That Oh, the Spirit Dancer is so brutal.
0: That card is is so brutal. Especially, like, any deck trying to run, like, Anger of the Gods or Languish or Storm's Wrath. It's like, (laughs) have fun with that, bro. Yeah. Thoughtseize into Spirit Dancer into Triple Aura. Thank Mm. you. Mm. See you next time. Nasty. Yeah, nasty with Laris as a backup. Yeah, pretty good deck. Uh, All right, and then... You know, Abzan counters, you said that people would try it. They have been trying it. I've been fairly unimpressed with this deck for all the reasons you would expect. It's just, it's like it looks busted when you goldfish with it. And then when you play against an actually busted deck, you realize how fair it is, you know, in a format like Historic.
1: Yeah, I I don't think I've actually encountered it.
0: Yeah, it's not good. I, I take your word for it. Only only play this deck if you're excited about it, and then play it and have fun. Otherwise, you know, whatever. I just want to briefly touch on the existing archetypes that are still very strong. And I think that if you want to be competitive in Historic, you should probably be leaning more towards some of these. So, Soul Time Midrange, everyone's been thinking about it. Everyone's been talking about it. It's definitely a force in the meta. Picking up Fatal Push is huge. I mean, it was a strong deck, it's still a strong deck. Now, one of the interesting one of the things that interested me, and I want to get your take on this, CGB. I was watching Michael Jacob play the other night. And Hot Flash, by the way, if you ever want to learn about a metagame and a format, I feel like there's no quicker way to do so than watching Michael Jacob stream. A of all the guys, just a monster, he's just an amazing magic player, just took down a mox tournament
1: like, within the past week. This is darkest underscore mage on Twitch, by the way.
0: Yep, so he's also, like, he's very friendly. He'll answer your questions. He's just, he's a really cool guy. But he's one of these people where, like, he really cuts through the BS when he's looking at a meta game. He's the kind of person, like, he was saying this on his stream. He was like, I spent 90% of my time testing for the marks, not playing the deck I ended up testing. I was just playing decks in the matter game against other decks in the matter game and just figuring out what actually mattered in the matter game, figuring out what cards were important, etc, etc. I, I learned more in watching him play and talk for 10 minutes than like most other streams for the entirety of their existence, you know, so so he's he's a really great person to watch. Anyway, so I was watching Michael Jacob play and he was talking about how he was really feeling like Historic is moving away from the version of Sultai midrange that relies on Nyssa Krasis, and he was thinking that Sultai midrange should really be moving towards Narset with interaction, was was basically his theory, is that this is actually the better way to be playing this metagame at the moment. And I'm just curious if you've run into any of these Narset Sultai decks,
1: and what what you think about that on the face of it. No, I've run into the Nyssa Krasis deck a number of times, and it is very much powered on the idea that you untap a breeding pool or an an overgrown tomb, you have the right removal, and you made a threat on the crucial turn. Now that there's fatal push, you only need one mana to have an answer sitting around. Um, So I guess I can see where we're going. The combos with Narset, uh, Torrential Gear Hulk, and... The memory um, <laughs> commit to memory <laughs> is not—it's not a meme. That's a nasty it, combo. Yeah, it's—it's it's, if you don't deal with the Narsa, you know, six mana and you lose. I—I um, I, I can see where he's coming from.
0: So, and again, this is like competitive play that we're talking about here. So he was making some really good points, like for example, Nissa is uh, and. Mm, sometimes Krasis as well, are both still susceptible to uh, gust, and you can really get got on key turns of the game. And and so, you know, playing a deck that's not really soft to that, you know, like Oro doesn't really care about Aether gust, whereas getting a Nissa Gusted can be a, a game-losing play. So th- these are just things that, that he's thinking about when he's approaching these decks. So I would definitely, you know... If you want to play salt Eye mid-range, I would definitely reconsider the deck. Just take a look at it and ask yourself, like, do these cards line up well with the meta game? Because the thing is, a deck like Salt-Eye is more controlling is all about the meta. You can sleeve up a deck with just a bunch of powerful cards and win games, that's fine, but this deck is really supposed to be a deck which is paying attention to the meta game and actually responding and reacting and melding itself to the meta game. And so I think just like faunus or faucrasis, I I don't think is is the
1: right approach when you're playing a deck like this. It probably has trouble with Aetherworks Marvel, at least in game one, if that does arise to be a thing. The, because you can't the gust version, it. You mean? Yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. really gust it. You can't really remove it in a traditional way. It doesn't care about Narset. Like I don't know. It's interesting.
0: It's interesting, actually. I Narset is fairly good against Marvel, um, which was a little bit unintuitive to me. But it, it shuts down your rogue refiners. It shuts down one of your back ends, which is Seagate Restoration. I actually, I, I was just playing a match today where uh, Narset ended up being a really pivotal card against huh. me. Which was surprising, but it kind of like it took you know it shut down my Oro. And one of the problems with a deck like Marvel is that you're not running that much like Planeswalker interaction. You know what I mean? So if they get the Narset down, basically your only outs to getting rid of it are like your Eldrazi or your Ugin. Anyway, that that I just think that it's 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 an interesting thing to think about. You know, what's the next deck that you have on your metagame check-in list? Yeah. Okay. So um, mono red still a thing it turns out chandra that, well Beaumont it turns Currier. out the bomac courier is Ooh. is delivering on the promise man i mean Bromat courier is just freaking knocking the door down um so yeah you know we've all watched crokies playing this deck right it's like the four bomac courier two chandra maybe three chandra mono red deck i'm still not sold on chandra to be honest the combination of Chandra and Historic format doesn't really make much sense to me. I feel like Chandra's at its best when people are playing like uh, Glory bringers and stuff, you know what I mean? Or Yashan, right? So a lot of people have been saying that one of the reasons you haven't seen the Big Pig as much in Historic is that Chandra's been on the scene. And so I'm not saying that the card hasn't had an impact on the meta game, I just, I still think it's a sideboard card. I just like, I don't think that it matches up particularly well against a lot of the decks in the format.
1: I can agree with that. I I think a sideboard is the right place for it.
0: I do think that it makes more sense in mono-red specifically main deck than just about any other deck. And the reason for that is that the damage off of Chandra can can finish really well. So Chandra becomes a lot more relevant when you're at 4-life, right? Because then you can't just be like, lol, I'm just going to let Chandra sit there or whatever. You have to actually really worry about it. So it does give these decks another angle of attack, which I think is good. But yeah, uh definitely if you're if you're playing like a mono red aggressive deck, I would definitely consider those Bomat Karias
1: the they're just very, very good. I'm trying to remember what the deck was that I saw that you is utilizing. Oh yeah, it's uh go- goblins. Goblins with like Two Chandra's in the main—that's what I saw on Twitter because it ramps into Muxus. I've heard about that, yeah. I which which I actually think is compelling, right? Like
0: that is actually yeah. kind of cool. You don't want to go too heavy on that because you know you can't hit it off the Muxus, you can't play it off of your you know Snoop. But yeah, uh, that that's pretty cool use of it, I would say. It also helps you find a Muxus if you're in top tech mode, so that's cool. And then of course you know some of the old faithfuls are still around, John the Sack didn't really get i don't think john sack got much from kaladesh except
1: fatal push Yep, just fatal push good removal but not really what it was
0: out to do yeah but it's still just a very very strong deck and and i expect to see it in competitive play gruel is still around and you know one of the main things it got from kaladesh remastered wasn't kaladesh remastered it was just that burning tree emissary was (laughs) unbanned around the same time Although there's a lot of conjecture as to whether Burning Tree Emissary still belongs in the deck in lieu of things like Collected Company, for example. Yes, it still belongs. (laughs) Are are we done? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I think in Best of 1, definitely, I'm curious whether whether it's good enough in Best of 3, you know? So that's, I mean, from where I'm standing, I'm like, it's one of the main reasons to play the deck. So I think it's very good. But again, you just play it in, You
1: just sideboard it out. Like You play it in game one when people aren't as prepared for aggression because it makes a huge difference, and then you sideboard it out for the interactive cards that you need. Right, yep, exactly. It's really straightforward. I, I don't think it's going anywhere, personally.
0: Mm-hmm. It just gives you such strong openings. Playing Burning Tree Emissary into anything on turn two is just such a strong tempo play. But it is, you know, Gruul is starting to pick up enough cards in the pool that you're really you really have to stake your claim right like am i playing galia am i playing Kari zev how much am i leaning on collected company how much am i leaning on embercleave do i run any questing beasts in my build these are all these kind of questions that you have to answer i think gruul is strong and i think the main question is what do what do i want to do with my gruel deck right like which direction do i actually want to take my gruel deck is is the main question there?
1: yeah i think it's probably the best ember cleave deck i would i would go from there yep <laughs>
0: yep absolutely okay so that's kind of an overview of the historic meta before we want to go here i did want to check in with you on standard and see how standard mm-hmm. is going because you know it's a, still an important format that people other than Arjuna are playing and enjoying right now so what's happening in standard no it's like just
1: me to be honest <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it really is like 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 just look at twitch anytime i'm live i'm the only one playing even standard. touching standard <laughs> oh yeah which is kind of this is normal that, that, that's something I want to stress. If, if you're out there still playing and enjoying Standard and you don't want to get into Historic, and every podcast and every streamer is playing Historic, it is normal at this time in the cycle to play other formats because we're not going to get a new set release until Kaldheim, and we have to go through, basically we have to ride through the holidays in the card pool that we have now. And for some people that's not, fresh enough, it's not interesting enough, and they have to, you know, the, the newest cards are from Kaladesh, the newest cards are a different format. It's not surprising that people are playing it. But uh, for those still interested in standard, I I wouldn't call it stale, and it's not completely solved, but we know who the players are. There, there are some decks that they just hold up, um, and they keep rotating because there's so many good options for them and configurations of them that you can play that they can adapt to each other. The two biggest ones are rogues and gruel adventures. So every time that like rogue starts really creeping up in a meta game, they have to deal with gruel who comes at them with just Ox of Agonis, and I've even seen, like, Phoenix of Ash. So they've got all these escape cards, plus they're just hitting you fast. And uh, you see, like, Scorching Dragonfire and Fire Prophecy to kill the Thought Thief at instant speed, sometimes in the main, sometimes in the sideboard, sometimes both. So Gruul can adapt if they want to. And then there's the Rogue Killer, like, absolute killer. It doesn't beat Rogues on its own, but if you can remove the key threats and then just have this card sitting on the battlefield, Rogues just can't dig out. And it's Clothus. Clothus, man. They can't kill it. They have nothing. It just sits there draining them every turn. They can't not put cards in the graveyard. They're, They're the rogue deck. They don't have a choice here. And it just sucks them dry. And it's so brutal. But on the other side, you know, we talked about how Um, Gruul can adapt and just beat the crap out of rogues if it wants to. Rogues does have counterplay. And one of the big traps, quite honestly, is activating your Clothis, because if it's alive, it can be stolen by four Lull Mage Domination. And yeah, so if you cut your traditional removal spells, like Heartless Act, and you adjust your mana base to play a bunch of dual lands, we're talking a bunch of temples and triomes, so that you have a lot of blue and black sources. Now, you can come at them for lull mage's domination, just steal their big creatures, and try to beat them down. Maybe Clothis is too slow, or maybe they turn it on and you steal it. The other big rogue adaptation is usually Essence Scatter. Some people prefer Anticognition. I still think that card's terrible, but Essence Scatter can counter Clothis on the way in, along with just, just about everything that the Gruul deck does. Because the key to beating Gruul is just never let them have one of their three or four mana large creatures. If they don't ever get to untap with it and they can't like Embercleave and they can't hinge, then you're usually in a good spot. And then as long as the ooze doesn't get big, you're, you're going to be fine. As long as Scavenging Ooze doesn't grow out of control on you. So both sides of this matchup are really interesting. And they're probably the two best decks with a bunch of other decks trying to figure out how to prey on them while they prey on each other.
0: Let me just ask you one thing regarding the Gruul deck. I remember earlier in the format, it was seeming like Gem Razor was a really critical part of the format. And I feel like I've been seeing less and less and less of it. Have we moved on from Gem Is it Or is it
1: like just a sideboard card in the Gruul mirror right now? Actually, for the most part, we've re- moved completely off of Gem Razor. Um, th- There's a number of... Kind of issues with it, it the Yorian decks scaled back a lot and blowing up glass casket used to be a major weakness of theirs. Blowing up Elspeth Conqueror's death was a major weakness, but you can shut down the Elspeth Conqueror's death with scavenging Ooze, If you just play that correctly, it pretty much does a similar thing uh, because they can't get anything back, which is usually the the back breaking part of that card. And then. Um, People are smarter with their glass caskets, quite honestly. Like, that used to be a major point of vulnerability. Now, you get into these gruel mirrors, there's still a lot of artifacts and enchantments around, but you can't untap and hope to put your gem raiser on a creature to deal with them like when henge comes down when Embercleave comes down if your plan is i'm gonna blow it up next turn they might still gain a lot of value off of both either in terms of damage or blowing up a double block or drawing two or three cards from their Henge if they're playing well so you need instant speed artifact removal now which is why wilt is a three and a four of in gruel adventure sideboards the way that things are going so uh, wilt has for the most part replaced the gem razor. plus you don't have to worry about your edge wall innkeeper and your human token from lovestruck beast refusing to play nice with the gem razor, which is a major problem like i said also just the shift in dealing with gruel like keeping them from having an ember cleave keeping them from having a henge It requires that you remove all these creatures if all these creatures are getting removed a gem razor is not what you want to be doing to do it and the other thing i'm thinking of as well is that it
0: actually doesn't play well with either of the the big important cards in that deck right it doesn't give you another card off of your great hands if you're mutating it so that's one problem and it also doesn't go wide for the ember cleave so it doesn't actually play with your plan very well so let's talk about like some of these other satellite decks then. like,
1: Are we still seeing Yorian? Is that still getting yeah. played? <laughs> I mean, on my stream, 100%. Every day. <laughs> I don't give up on Yorian. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of varieties, of course, but I think the only one left that matters, like, like you can make a case for Mardu and you can talk about Blue-White, and those both can attack specific metagames, but if if you look at the metagame mostly being around, like, Gruul and Rogues battling each other and a number of Ugin decks that we might get to, then I think the only Yorian deck that's good is Esper Doom Foretold. And it's it's a sneaky Yorian deck because it's more of a Doom Foretold deck, so you end up putting a lot of your enchantments and artifacts in the graveyard than getting them back with Dance of the Mance. There are a lot of games where Yorian isn't the deciding factor, but it's the other plan. You know, if you don't have the doom, you have the Yorian and you try to set up for one or the other. Doom foretold can, with Dance of the Mance and with a number of cards like Elspeth's Nightmare, um, they, they can just grind through all the creatures from Gruul and they can just grind out the rogues deck by getting a ton of value and, presenting too many things that they have to counter so that something like a dance of the manse finally resolves and it's just way over the top and the most interesting thing for me for the dance of the manse esper lists is like usually you wouldn't play cards like heartless act eliminate and blood chief's thirst because you have so many you you want all these enchantments and artifacts right and you, pro- you might play some sweepers like Shatter the Sky because that's really good with Doom Foretold if they have three creatures and you blow them all up and then your Doom Foretold goes off or hits the enchantment you wanted to hit. But these versions uh, that are finding the most success are running like four Heartless Act and three Eliminate and Shatter the Sky and Extinction Event. And it, it shows how down the rabbit hole you go of just kill it all. Don't let Gruul untap with a thing. Don't let rogues have a crab for two turns. Kill it all. Scorched Earth magic. Oh my gosh. It's, it's kind of glorious. Yeah, I'm kind
0: of down with it. You know, it reminds me of the standards of old, right? Mm-hmm. It reminds yep. me when, yeah, playing like 12 removal spells main deck was a thing you could do. Well, that I mean, that's cool. I'm glad to see that. And yeah, I do think... One of the things I love about Doom Foretold is that it's such a flexible answer to so many things. And just like you said, it's like if your deck has a lot of interaction and a Doom Foretold, you can steer a game state into the Doom taking care of the thing that you need it to. There are also game states in which it just locks your opponent out, right? It's like, what are they yeah. supposed to play? Like, yeah,
1: as a control mage, it makes you feel smart. What more
0: could you ask for in life? <laughs> Yeah, and then you know, and then if your opponent deals with it, it just comes back, and it just comes back, and it just comes back. That's cool. I'm I'm glad to
1: hear that those lists are showing up. I, I want your reaction. I, yeah, I need your reaction to mono green food. I, I'm, I mean, okay, just like from a from
0: a gut check perspective, I'm off it, and I've always been off it. I think, <laughs> I think that deck is so stupid, and <laughs> I. Sam- I I don't want to yuck anyone else's yum. So if you're listening to this and you like that deck, this isn't your problem. It's my problem. All right. But yeah, I'm just like, that deck does not, that deck has never read like a competitive deck to me. But it's probably just a leak in my game, really.
1: This from the man who did the two-hour deep dive into Monogreen aggro. You give him a one-drop, a two-drop, a three-drop, and a four-drop creature in Monogreen, and he salivates. You tell him you're going to generate some incremental value, put together some combinations of cards, draw a bunch of cards off your trailer crumbs, and play a Great Henge with your Troll King that you got for free, and he's like, I'm off it. That, that ain't Monogreen, man. Okay. That's just Jund pretending to be a different deck is what that and, is. And and like okay, and like Jund, like Jund, it has a really sweet matchup against aggressive creature decks. So the reason that yeah. mono green food is holding down its place in the meta is that it tortures Gruel. Like, Gruul hates Wicked Wolf a lot, and it really doesn't like having to work through these Troll Kings. And it doesn't like when its opponent has a great henge <laughs> either, and more mana than they do, so the ooze like, does better. Um, so that's, I think, I don't think food would be a deck if Gruul weren't a significant player, because, uh, the like, Doom Foretold and the Ugin decks don't really care. Yeah, and I don't imagine that rogues really cares that much either, right? Like uh, rogues, rogues can get they, itself into trouble. I guess they you... mill the they mill the <laughs> troll king, don't they? So oh yeah. An issue. If if you start your game with a gilded goose and your opponent starts their game with ruinous crab, flip over your troll king. You are <laughs> <laughs> you're feeling pretty good about that. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh, I guess I could see that.
0: I just think like the thing that has really unimpressed me about these food decks is how
1: slow they are. I I've faced enough turn four troll kings to respect it.
0: Sure, I, I I'm I, and again I'm not saying it's bad. I just like it, you know what it is. It's just one of those deck lists where like you can lay it out and you can point at every card and be like, this card sucks for this reason. This card sucks for this reason. This card sucks for this reason.
1: Oh, you just can't convince me to play it, man. You just okay, okay. I I don't need to. I'm just going to say that since the last time we talked about it, they have found a more cohesive plan. They are Mm. playing floral tetrahedrons, and they are playing wolf willow havens, and they're they're basically trying to ramp into the boom booms and then make people respect them as as opposed to slowly sacrificing a food token to a trail of crumbs. (laughs) so. So, like, how's it been doing? Like, has it actually been putting up results? It's been getting played in the MPL weekends. Uh, oh, oh! You might—I don't want to tell you—you you might have to disown him. But Chris Kavartek brought the mono green food. Ken Yuka brought the mono green food. No, that's such a Kavartek deck. I could easily see that. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay. Ken Yukihiro, known brewer on food, was pretty surprising to me. Um, but yeah, it's it's been getting wins and it's been dealing. I don't think it's taken many events, you know, down. I, I don't remember seeing it on top. Okay, so it's there like it's
0: like tier one slash one point five. I had it in tier two. Yeah, yeah, that that's about where it seems to line up to me. I just like. It, it, you just you couldn't convince me to play that deck over one of the big three that we just talked about. Who else are we are we
1: working with? Anything else? So there are three there are three other tier two te- tier two decks that I want to mention. And all of them in some way usually involve Ugin the Spirit Dragon, which just tries to go way over the top of Gruul, way over the top of Rogues and whatever you know. Yorian like like Ugin is a card, and it's nice to see. Quite honestly, it was kind of I personally was disgusted when Ugin was not really a card after a week into, you know, the the M21 standard and Teamer Reclamation was like, why would you play that card? And Bant Ramp didn't need that card, and Sultai Ramp didn't need that card. It was kind of disgusting, because Ugin should be a good card. <laughs> what, what have we come to? But I'll try to run these down up. Uh, so there's a mono red or mono red with slightly black version that tries to use, and I'm not kidding, Ironcrag Feet to play Ugin on turn five. Wow, we've really reached the Ironcrag Feet part three, of the meta game. <laughs> three, three to four copies of Ironcrag Feet. It's mostly mono red control, sometimes with black for extinction event, that plays Ugin on turn five and usually kills the opponent with either the Ugin goes unchecked or Crawling barons beats them to death. Oh my gosh, you know what that deck wants so bad?
0: Chandra Torch of Defiance. It does. It <laughs> Wouldn't really that be does. amazing in that deck? Yeah, yep. too
1: bad. Too bad. So that's a deck with a pretty good gruel matchup. It is a headache for rogues because they run Ox of main and a ton of cheap removal. From the red side, so it has a meta place. I don't think it likes food unless it does have the the quick Ugin. That's really your only hope there to beat the Henge, because once Henge is on the battlefield, it's really tough. And then uh, the next Ugin deck is Genesis Ultimatum, but it's in its ramp. It's like Cultivate Genesis Ultimatum, but it's a weird version that runs. It, it plays a pseudo-control game because the payoffs aren't like Terror of the Peaks. You know, it, it's very much like the Shark Typhoon is like the key card in the deck. So it runs like forge wari disruption. It runs a whole bunch of lands that are spells to just keep the opponent busy, Bone crusher Giant, Adventure Creatures, four Shark Typhoons, and then it casts Genesis Ultimatum, often cheating out a Shark Typhoon and going from there. Yeah, and that deck combo. is weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Ugin, you know, if you can get Ugin and protect it somehow, you know, with a negate or something. But I mean, that deck is, that deck to me is strange. I have not figured out how it sees the success it sees. Yeah, so. it's, it
0: sounds like my kind of deck, man. Of all the decks that you've mentioned so no, far. no, that's... the next
1: one is. Okay.
0: All right. <laughs> all right.
1: I save. You save
0: the best for last. Oh, I
1: save the gas for last. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sweep aside the ass, folks, cuz cuz here right. it comes. This is a Genesis Ultimatum deck. This is not an Ugin deck. It it felt it felt like one, but it's not. Genesis Ultimatum Terror of the Peaks. Sounds familiar, right? Oh wait, Cultivate. is this the
0: deck that's been running the uh running the damage tripler?
1: No. Okay. But, not that deck. But all right. No. Uh but it does have a damage doubler. Are you ready? Lay it on me. The rest of the deck is all the adventure creatures, except for Fae of Wishes, okay? with Obosh as the companion. Oh,
0: it's the Obosh deck. Heck yeah, dude. I, I saw that deck making the rounds. So, it's, so is that deck actually a contender?
1: Everything I've done with the deck has been amazing, and the feedback on the video from the deck has been very positive. So okay. I think that deck is a pretty serious player. Okay. Because... It just it it just threatens that kill out of nowhere with Terror of the Peaks and Beanstalk Giant when it gets to do Genesis Ultimatum but it has the fair game of Edgewall Innkeeper and Great Henge and Lovestruck Beast and Bonecrusher Giant and Brazen Borrower so it's
0: so what you're saying is this is what Tima energy I mean uh, Tima adventure has become
1: Right. Yes, Okay. you take out the Lucky Clover and the Fae of Wishes and you put in Terror of the Peaks and Genesis Ultimatum. I'm down, man. Yeah, I remember
0: when I, when I first saw those deck lists cropping up, I was like, wow, is this really where we are? And then it was like, no, this deck is real. This deck can actually do things. I suppose if you do look at the Adventures deck, it was all odd creatures. So mm-hmm. I guess that
1: kind of makes sense. I could see it. I got a really quick and... Nasty, like 6 0 in like top 500 Mythic with that deck. So that video went really well. I got knocked out of the F2K Invitational Tournament by Holy Diva running that deck. It was absolutely brutal. I, it just, man, it's another one of those decks that doesn't run out of gas and everything's a threat and everything's a two for one and everything's a freaking problem. And I mean, Adventures are strong, man. That's just,
0: it's as simple as that. You can't keep a teamer deck down, apparently. It's another thing I love about it is that it's one of those decks that circumvents the obosh problem by giving you plenty of like two cost adventure spells, right? It's one of those decks Uh that actually gives you things to do on your even turns, which I think is like an underrated because it's that's one of the problems you have to solve when you're running these decks right and especially if you're not running some janky aggro deck with like 12 wand drops in it because that's historically how the obosh deck solved that problem was they just ran like a billion one drops and whisper squad right yes but yeah, <laughs> yeah which yeah, i was never a fan of that to begin yeah. with but but yeah so i just
1: i love that that the adventure cards really give you that workaround which is really cool I'll also say that Teamer gives you a lot of good sideboard cards for the format. Mystical Dispute, of course. Redcap Melee, probably. But against rogues, you guessed it, it's Clothis. Clothis.
0: Gotta, gotta love they, her, huh? slash they. Um, <laughs> good times, good times.
1: All right, well, I think that that about wraps it up. Would you, would you agree with me there? Yeah, I think we about nailed it down. It, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where Historic and Standard go. And I think the big winners I want to try that Gear Hulk Sublime Epiphany thing now that people are saying it's actually good, but I think the Aura deck in Historic is going to going to be very real the black white version. In Standard, I it's it's going to be hard to get past the Gruul and Demire kind of heavyweight fight at the top. I think those two decks are in it till the end. They might they might take a brief week off, but those are the two decks that I think are the heavyweights of this format.
0: Yeah, I think we're unlikely to see like a, like a Kethys combo deck jump up at the end of the format or something like that. So yeah, I, I would agree with your assessment there. I think from now it's probably just tuning, tweaking, metagaming. But having said that, Standard seems about as healthy as it's been in a very long time. And that's something to applaud you know so so all of y'all can enjoy it meanwhile i'll just be bashing my head back against the wall that is trying to play every conceivable kaladesh deck in historic because that's that's where my heart lies all right friends that's gonna wrap it up for this episode thanks for joining us once more for the show around the game we all know and love you can find this podcast on any podcasting platform or on apples uh stitcher spotify itunes we yes we're on youtube if you want to jump on there and, and berate arjuna for his poor decisions best place to do that is is leave a comment on youtube uh you can find Kovac go Blue on youtube as well pushing that 100k by the way how how close are we right now uh, about six uh, a little over six thousand wow okay yeah. so uh if you haven't all if you're not already one of the people who's obviously subscribed to cgb on youtube go and give him that sub and help him reach that goal that's going to be super epic we're also coming up on a year of the ArenaCraft podcast here so gonna hit some pretty big milestones we should probably figure out something cool to do for that episode uh you can also find Kovac go blue streaming on the twitch monday through thursday 4 p.m eastern Thanks, buddy. I will catch you next week. Later.